We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming at you Tuesday morning, it's uh, March 28th after the Wolves completed a road road back-to-back in Golden State on Sunday and Sacramento Monday night. That's four wins in a row for the Wolves. They're back in the sixth seed, which means if the playoffs started today, they would get the Sacramento Kings in the first round. The Sacramento Kings, who are looking... For their first playoff appearance since I think I was in middle school, a Kings team that could have locked up their first playoff appearance in whatever it is, like 20 years with the win last night. They didn't, as Kyle Anderson said. I mean, well, they would have like won the division or they something. They would have clinched like a playoff yeah. spot. Yeah. Nah, I ain't. <laughs> Not while we're here. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, buddy. Not while we're here. I'm joined today by Kyle Tiggy from Score North. Kyle. Biggest win of the season? I heard you giving me shit yesterday about that. And it totally, when you were talking with Chris, and it uh, totally made my day. But uh, I'm I'm totally cool running this bit for seven more games or six more games. <laughs> like, I'm, uh, I, I've used the analogy before, but it's like my 14th birthday, birthday was my best birthday of all time when I was 14. And then when I was 21 and I was blacked out at a bar, it's like, oh, now this is my best birthday of all time. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Warriors win was the best win of the season because it was the highest stakes. And it was just also, and we'll get into this, but it was like the first time Phil, we talked about this yesterday on at flagrant house with Phil Mackey, but like it was the first time I can really remember the Warriors game. And now this Kings game since Kevin Garnett left, the Minnesota Timberwolves would just show up to boxing matches and let their opponent dictate everything size of the ring, color of the ropes, you know, <laughs> lighting in the building how many fan whatever these last two games like the wolves have walked into these arenas and been like no like we run like we're gonna dictate the pace we're gonna dictate the glass we're gonna dictate the flow um and i want to say this now before i black out and forget these last two games the largest lead in that warriors game for the warriors was five points (laughs) the largest lead last night for the kings was three points that's a team the wolves that are dictating things they're the aggressor they're the bully um, and as we talked about last week, like they're coming in with this mentality that size matters and they've used their size against these two teams that don't have a lot of it in the Warriors and the Kings to just kind of, again, 
emphasize what they want to do. And it's crazy because for the last 20 years, I just watched the Wolves go up and be like, yeah, we'll do whatever you want. We'll get our asses kicked and then we'll go home. So a new Wolves team, at least for the last 48 hours. And finally, an identity forming, right? Like that's what that's yeah, what Chris exactly. Finch talked about after the game. I think that ties into the two bigs. I think it ties into the group becoming more veteran. Um, it just kind of ties into a group tying itself together that uh, that makes a lot more sense than it did earlier on in the season. Here's Finch. Do you feel just kind of an identity forming here with this group and just kind of, a, I guess, a sense of self that maybe was not? Yeah, I think that's fair. Very fair. You know, like these guys really, really like each other. They love playing with each other. Um, they're always communicating. Um, you know, I think um, everyone's lifted their level a bit with certainly with uh, getting a little more comfortable with the roster um, and the games being so big. Um, you know, I think uh, our, I'm really hearing a lot from our veteran voices. You know, Rudy, Kyle, and Mike for sure are um, kind of putting their uh, stamp on this team. So. Kyle, I just feel like we have this interesting blend going on where there's clearly this influx of real meaningful veteran presence um, in, you know, Kyle Anderson's kind of been doing that all season. Rudy Gobert has been growing, clearly gotten more comfortable in in a leadership role over the past month or so. Mike Conley's addition here too. I find it interesting that simultaneously we are seeing maturity growth from the younger players uh last night's game i mean your your leading scorers are jade mcdaniels and and nas reed uh again nas reed seems to be in the mix there every every single game in, in terms of offense and i think when you thought about this team or when i thought about this team at, at the beginning of the season to like really spin it back was Outside of the picks and everything, when I thought about the Gobert trade, I thought about really kind of bifurcating the age, the ages of, of the roster, right? Like that you have an Ant and Jaden kind of window, whatever, coming in with a youthful group and you by adding a 30-year-old, you know, Rudy Gobert, it seemed like you were really going in on the more later stage window of, of this group, the Carl Anthony Towns at the time, D'Angelo Russell. And to me, at the time, that didn't make a ton of sense because what you got a finite amount of resources, whatever, to be able to build something around your players, around Anthony Edwards. And um, I think what has sort of changed for me in the last month is, is this idea that you can do both, that there, you can be betting on a window that isn't necessarily Anthony Edwards or Jaden McDaniels or Nasrid or any of the younger players on this team while also helping those younger players kind of grow into that. And, you know, I think to be fair to the front office, which we haven't been fair to uh, a lot over the course of the season, I think this was their vision with this, right? Was that adding Rudy Gobert or later adding Kyle Anderson in the offseason or later on adding Mike Conley isn't a bet against the the young window on this team, the young players on this team. It's actually something that can help them grow and play meaningful basketball games at this time of the year or in the playoffs. And, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to recount the, the entire trade and, and, and break it all down and the flaws of it. But given how often we, us two, or, you know, everyone out there has really picked at this trade 
I think it is important and fair to at this time be acknowledging the fact that that wasn't completely right. I wasn't completely right in this idea that you only focused on winning now when maybe the more likely window that you win a championship is later. It can be it can be both. And uh, I just think what Mike Conley has done added that ingredient into the mix has really made that kind of hit home for me and and just believe in what they're doing uh, a lot more certainly than I did in the first quarter of the season. I don't want to bury the lead here. Uh, bifurcating means to divide into two branches or forks. Uh, you've been hanging out with Britt way too much. I had to look that word up just now. Um, but no, every, everything you said is right. And it kind of, you know, again, do we really want to go through every pick that was sent out in the Rudy Gobert trade? Probably not. Um, but we've used this analogy before. The Minnesota Timberwolves last summer were just tired of like renting. They just wanted a house. Uh, and Tim Conley in that front office decided we're going to go get this house. And you can still, and we will still, unless this results in, I guess, a title at some point, like uh, criticize the cost to get that house, but they got a house. And as the market changes and all these different, you know, the the world continues to, to grow in all these different ways, like the Wolves finally own something. And what they own is, like you said, an identity. They're, it's starting to kind of all take shape. And I still think there's there's moments to be critical of the front office. Um, but I also think like, like the, the state of Utah was ready to build a Danny Ainge statue outside the Crumble Cookie headquarters after the Rudy Gobert trade. Um, why the hell did he trade Mike Conley to the Wolves? Like, that's like, um, we've talked about this, I think, right when we did like the emergency Conley podcast after the deadline, but you like, you want the Wolves to suck, (laughs) right? And it's like, you just gave them this thing. I think Britt referred to it as the skeleton key to unlock this team. And it's like, you're watching that asset that you're like, I need this asset to be as sexy as possible. And you made it better which therefore made your pick worse. So for as much love as Danny Ainge got for the Gobert trade, like the Mike Conley, Russell Westbrook thing was, I mean, I guess unless they get the fifth overall pick six years from now and I might be dead, like that was a really, really bad trade for Utah and a borderline season saving trade for Minnesota. Because now back to your point, like, I mean, hold on, hold on. Like, I do think, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say it was a season saving trade because right. Because listen to what and how the coaches and the players are talking about this team and what they weren't doing before the trade deadline and what they are doing now. And, at you know, after the Golden State game, Finch talks about no longer needing to hide players defensively. And, you know, I thought in the, the Sacramento game and they talked about all the players and the coaches after the game talked about the value of rebounding and the commitment to rebounding that this team is doing. That is something they were not doing before the trade. Finch specifically talked about how the commitment to rebounding is about the guards. And so it's not, and I'm really not trying to do the like roast D'Angelo Russell thing, but those are D'Angelo Russell things that he was not doing and probably could not do was be able to guard the ball, be able to contribute to, to rebounding. And what we learned in the, 58 games he was here is that the way this roster was constructed around D'Angelo Russell, that those things were requirements for competence with this group. Just because you have two centers, you have all these things, you could not, you don't have a roster that could afford 
to hide a player every possession defensively. You did not have a roster that could have a guard who did not have the ability to go in and be able to to rebound, as we saw, you know, Mike Conley be able to do at the end of the game there too. Now it's not all D'Angelo Russell. There's there was growth that was going to be coming in this over the course of the season, probably exponential growth because it was very slowly growing at the beginning. But it is a different team, and it is because of that trade. And and even if you know you throw on Nikhil Alexander Walker and the three second round picks, I mean, I just found myself sitting there last night thinking and still thinking, sure, like overpay for Rudy Gobert. But if we actually take the pile that was the Gobert trade and we add in the ingredients incoming and outgoing from the D'Angelo Russell trade, it looks certainly less bad. And then you apply it to what the product on the floor looks like right now, more than competent. And if that was the goal was to be playing in playoff games, like you kind of had to do all of this stuff. And, and so, sorry, sorry, I cut you off, but I just, I don't think it's hyperbolic at all to be saying that this, you know, that this trade changed this team because I don't, the two bigs thing is working a lot better right now. And I don't think it necessarily would be working a lot better right now if you wouldn't have made the other, the subsequent trade of not only D'Angelo Russell or not only D'Angelo Russell for Mike Conley, but also Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's contributing and just a complete culture shift in how this team functions. I mean, they are just very clearly as a group playing like a significantly smarter and and more committed basketball team. It's a, it is an identity shift. And and I don't know if there's a single thing you can point to that contributes to that more than the acquisition of Mike Conley. Yeah, we just need to move past this idea that if we say a nice thing about one person, it's like a diss against the other, right? Like, I will always love my home state of North Dakota, but I'm just happier living on the West Coast. It has nothing to do with North Dakota. It's just the lifestyle and the weather fit me better. Mike Conley just fit this roster and this experiment better. Chris Hine, who was on the road last night for that Kings game, had a really good quote after the game where he asked Rudy, how much smarter the Timberwolves are now than earlier this season? And Rudy laughed and said, I think we're about three, four years older than we were a few months ago. And I'm not talking about Mike Conley. Um, that could mean a variety of things. Um, but it also, just just to circle back and kind of close the loop on for today uh, on the Rudy Gobert trade, uh, one of the things you and I have talked about, and we've all kind of talked about this, is that the importance of putting the young guys, you mentioned this, putting those young guys in just as many meaningful reps as you can have, as many meaningful games. I think it was Jim Pete last night who did this, but there was like a long delay towards the end of the game. And they were talking about the Wolves were inching towards winning the game. They're talking about how bleep and impressive it was to do this on the second night of a back-to-back in an arena that is deemed the loudest arena in the league for a Kings team that was like a meaningful game. I mean, Worldwide Wob was there to like really just dance on the Timberwolves grave. And he was talking about how Finch just doesn't like let them think that way like he doesn't let these young guys think like oh you know you should be tired tonight or second night like there's just a real level of professionalism that i think is five years from now we're going to be really talking about some of this stuff it's like maybe the gobert trade only led to a couple first round playoff exits or whatever but it's like damn that was really good for a 21 year old aunt and a 22 year old Jaden to be like the end of march 
when they're just legal enough to drink, like they're playing the most important basketball games they've ever played in their entire lives. And that's important when you look around the league and you see some of these younger guys that are in really bad spots. Um, that's what I take away from the Gobert trade is that it put a, I mean, the expectations have almost crushed the fan base at times, myself included. You're like, God damn, we're 16 and 21 and the Pistons just ruined New Year's. But it also was like, it gave them a toughness and a heart that, I don't know, man, I haven't seen in 20 years. So um, yeah, the Mike Conley skeleton key unlocked everything. Um, but I also like, can we talk about Kyle Anderson again? That was like number one on my bullet list. <laughs> we'll get to Kyle. I want to. I want to play the the clip. So Chris was asking not only Rudy about the intelligence or whatever smartness of this team, and I think it ties into that ant and the young guy thing. It's it's not just you know being raised or growing up with a, a certain type of personnel. It's it's growing up in an environment of quote unquote smart basketball and it hasn't been that all season right like you know there's there's been pockets here and there but as the identity forms as it seems like they now know what they want to get to offensively and defensively and play like that they know that what that identity is they know how to execute it and it is a quote-unquote again smart strategy I think that is immense uh, for Anthony Edwards and for Jaden McDaniels and for Nas Reed on this team. Uh, here, here's Finch when asked about a post game. How much of a um, smarter team are you now than maybe you were earlier in the season, especially when it comes to late games? Significantly, significantly smarter. I mean, I think having obviously, uh, you know, the guys out there with Kyle and Mike and and that ball in their hands a lot, and uh, you know, Ant's obviously getting better and better at it. Uh, I think that's one part, but two, just haven't been through these enough of these games. You know, it doesn't feel like we've ever had like any kind of like game that has that hasn't been close. You know, so, um, but yeah, we're learning through all that. I think that experience is is huge, not just in the whatever the smart environment, but an environment where all these games are close. I mean, it's been eighteen games now uh, since the trade deadline. Fourteen of them have come in clutch time where the game was within five points with five minutes left in it. That's, what is that? That's 78% of the games since Conley has been there. If you look before the trade, this team played 30 of their 58 games that got to clutch time. So that's 52% of the games that were close. Um, to consistently be playing, in, I mean, I guess, sure, you'd, you'd rather win by 20 points, I guess, uh, just so it'd be easier and get out of there. but. There's value in like almost literally every single night be playing in close games that matter and to win close games that matter. You have to play with that smart type of identity and they're doing that more often than they haven't. I mean, Sacramento, part of the reason they're the three seed right now is because they have been a team that has dominated in the clutch time this, this season. And since the trade deadline, the Wolves have beat them twice in clutch time games since the trade deadline. Uh, I, I don't think you can undersell the value of that. And it's it's part of the reason I've significantly shifted my view and outlook of what this team can be, because I've seen them play repeatedly in these type of games and more often than not look like a team that belongs in, in those type of situations. So uh, yeah, as Finch said, I, I don't think you can undersell that and that you can't ignore the fact that all these 
te- these games have been close, close battles for them. Another, th- I shout down Horton for this, but just on the point of like, dude, after the Warriors game, I was like tired. Like I was like, I, I don't know. I don't, am I going to tweet tonight? Like I might just take this Kings game off and just watch it in the dark. But Alan Horton had this after last night's win. Minnesota is now eight and five in games on zero days rest. Uh, they have one back-to-back remaining, but regardless, they've now clinched a winning record for the first time since 2003, 2004. So again, just this idea that like a lot of us in the, in the fan base was like, oh, that Warriors game was so awesome. Like, I'm exhausted, whatever. House, I think they referred to it last night on the broadcast as like kind of house money. Mm-hmm. During this final stretch, you're like three and out to start these last 10 games. Um, that wasn't, that's not a good mentality, actually, but it's just what we all kind of bubble ourselves with because we're so, so much scar tissue of just every time we have expectations or we, we get into this team, their floor is made of paper mache and it just craters. Yeah. Um, but that's not what Finch and this coaching staff is telling these guys. And that's, I mean, how many other young players in the league are just still sitting out back to backs or, you know, just kind of coasting or they're tanking now. Like you got these two kids still as part of this, you know, the, the second timeline or whatever that are playing in the most important games of their lives. And there's, I mean, I don't know, again, last night, Ant wasn't great. Jaden was great, but the night before against the Warriors, he wasn't great. And it still doesn't matter because then you mix in all that seasoning of just these veterans and, you know, Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert, who's by the way, Gobert was just awesome last night. Um, and then Nas Reed, I mean, Jalen Noel, you kind of called it in the third quarter, like they need a Jalen bump uh, and they got a Jalen bump. So yeah, just, just impressive stuff. How, again, I know if you're contrarian, like it's been two games or whatever, but you're starting to see this all kind of click. I mean, they, they went into a second night of a back-to-back last night. It was like, we're just going to rest Carl and didn't matter. <laughs> right. And like, it does matter because prior to that, he had hit two game winning shots against the Hawks and the <laughs> Warriors. So, uh, incredible stuff just all around from the coaching staff all the way down to, you know, the 15th guy. Kyle, let's grab our uh, first break. We'll be back here in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore. If you're a dude who is still washing your face using a bar of soap or nothing at all, this one is for you. It's time to stop living like a caveman and start taking care of yourself with Land and Lore, the only men's skincare brand that doesn't suck. Let's face it. If you don't look good, you don't feel good. And if you don't feel good, you're not going to do good. So start your day off like you care and use Land and Laura. Your partner will thank you and we'll be proud of you for at least trying. Fans of the podcast have even more reason to start caring. Use promo code 20caveman at checkout on Amazon.com to get 20% off our face cleaner or moisturizer and extra credit if you leave a review. That's 20caveman for 20% off Land and Laura at Amazon.com. These two products are proven to help you look your best. So upgrade your life with Land and Laura today, your face. And your partner will thank you for it. All right, we're back with uh, Kyle Tagge from Score North. Kyle, you said, uh, I'll let you pick. But pick a player specifically uh, to get into. You mentioned Kyle Anderson. I think we uh, need to talk about focus on Jade McDaniels a little bit too. Uh, Nas Reed, again, he is a <laughs> daily uh, topic on, on this podcast uh, of late, just given what, what he's been able to bring. Who, who do you want to start with? Was Kyle Anderson this good in Memphis? Uh, no, I, two years ago, he was close to this. Um, I, I remember actually asking him probably maybe it's like two months ago now. So I, I don't know, maybe I'll have to re-ask him, but like, I was, is this the best season of, of your career? And, 
And he was like, uh, no, two years ago in, in Memphis was, and he was, he was there for four years. Right. And, um, his role really vacillated, uh, on that team, like, which, which it has on this team too. Right. He's like started or come off the bench. But what, what I mean is like his minutes really changed like night to night or, or month to month there. He also is dealing with like a pretty significant and lingering like shoulder injury. I remember having Chris Harrington on, uh, after actually right after the Kyle Anderson signing and, and he and I talked about that and he was like, the biggest thing was like, you couldn't get any consistency from Kyle cause he had no consistency in, in his shot because his shoulder, his right shoulder was bugging him so much with his, with his shot. And I think like, particularly now with him playing the three, like you really do need to have some offensive consistency from him. You probably need him to be taking one or two threes a game. He's now shot almost a hundred threes this year and made, I think 41, 42% of them. Um, so I don't think Kyle Anderson was ever this healthy in Memphis. Okay. And, okay. and if, and if the one year he was, I don't think he had the role consistently, like for all 82 games, um, that allowed him to have the impact that he's had on this team. This is, I Kyle could say it's not his best year of his career. It's certainly his most impactful season of his career. I don't think that's up for debate. I mean, again, you like, look at some of the advanced numbers. Like he is defensive estimated plus minus. He's the sixth best defender in, in the league this season. And, and like, go look up that, go look up that list. It's like the other guys in the top 10 there are like, if we made the list of the top 10 defenders right now, just off the top of our heads, like seven of the 10 would be the, would be in that top 10 in terms of defensive estimated plus minus. So I think it's actually a very good indication of that. Like his impact to the eye test, his impact analytically, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, undeniable to me at, at this point, 75, 76 games into the season. You know, the skeleton key himself gets a lot of credit for unlocking this, right? Um, I'm always a Victorian Prince fan. So I always think like, you know, veteran leadership, he's been great. His, the media or the the end of season quotes from last year, where all the young guys just kind of called him out for being such a good guy on the road. But like, I don't know, man. This is Kyle Anderson's team, for the most part, right? Um, <laughs> I was I was just as I was watching last night and getting emotional, probably and crying and ha- laughing at the same time. I was just thinking back when you were out here and the Wolves got swept by the Blazers. Yeah, and we had I can't remember what he said specifically, but remember we were in the locker room talking yeah, to Kyle. He said and- when uh, I learned when I was in early on in my career. When you're going through hell to keep on going, that was, I was like, that's like a Hallmark card. Like that is I, uh, fantastic. Kind of depressing. It that, that did it. That sounds <laughs> yeah. a lot better now with hindsight than it did the moment. I remember, yeah, we were just jammed in that tiny Portland locker room. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> not great. But that is kind of honestly like we D'Lo kind of coined the never too high, never too low uh, phrase that he said over the course of the four years he was here. Um, I think Kyle Anderson kind of embodies that um, in in his words when he talks to the media, but just kind of in his play. I think he holds himself accountable, and I think he holds he holds the team accountable, so it can't ever get too high or ever too low. Watching him last night, I was rewatching the game this morning. There is a play. I think the Wolves are up eight with about two oh seven left in the fourth quarter, and Kyle Anderson's inbounding. And he looks like the epitome of like when you have a, a young kid's birthday party and they're all playing football in the backyard, but dad is the all-time quarterback. Kyle Anderson is about to pass the ball in. 
but he is yelling at Ant to switch sides with Jaden. He's telling Rudy to step back two spots. He's telling Mike to get further to the corner. He's literally just has like, looks like he had five arms. He's just doing all these things and moving these guys around. They inbound it to Rudy. Rudy takes a kind of like a 10 foot jump shot, kind of misses. Guess who gets the offensive rebound? <laughs> Kyle Anderson. Say. Then he slows it back down or whatever. They run a good play. I think Ant misses a three. Guess who gets another offensive rebound? Yeah. And it just was like a, I think it turned out to be like a 45 second possession where they basically were running the football and just like milking the clock. I don't know if they scored on it, but I actually, they resulted in Rudy taking some free throws. Right. But it just, I mean, that that's, he looks like he's having the most fun ever. And I know it's crazy to say that the Timberwolves belong to Kyle Anderson, but he is as good as Mike Conley is as a veteran floor leader and all these different things. He looks like he is just telling guys where to go. Like he is just, you go over there, you go over there and they listen to him. Um, he's the most vocal on the court. Like when you're just watching from home, he has no problem. Like if there's a busted rotation turning around and just like clapping and yelling at a guy. But the cool part about all of this is that they went through hell together and they kept going and they listened to him. (laughs) Like they respond to him. So he's like having Finch on the floor. He obviously finishes last night with 15 points, 11 assists, one turnover. The team had six turnovers. I mean, again, second night of a back-to-back. You know, this West Coast road trip towards the end of March, you have six turnovers. That's just playing adult basketball. Yes. And it it really does start. I mean, there's a lot of guys that contribute, but it really starts and ends with Kyle Anderson. Yeah, Kyle Anderson. I, though, you know, Mike Conley in there too, though. We already did our whole D'Lo Conley sort of thing. But having multiple players like that who can control, slow down the game, not make it be crazy having multiple guys be able to do that when when your other now on this roster your other like handlers right uh from ant to to jaden right to even like kind of cat sometimes like those as you know valuable of offensive players as those guys are they're not really regulators right you kind of like i mean actually jaden's like showed off some like crazy handle over these these past few games but you know you don't really you don't really want Jaden to be initiating offense in the clutch, right? It, it feels like a little bit of a risk. You know, you don't necessarily trust Ant's shot selection in, in those type of situations. Even, you know, with Carl, and granted, that wasn't a problem in the Atlanta game, but you always kind of have this, like, lingering fear of in the last minute or couple minutes or so that he might try and prioritize getting a foul and, and kind of flailing to, to be able to do so. And grant again, like cat has delivered in those times. Ant has delivered in those times. Jaden has delivered in, the, in those times. So I'm not saying it's, they can't do that. I just think the likelihood that you are going to get one of them to deliver in that time goes up exponentially. The more regulators you have on the floor with them. And yeah, to that end, Conley and Kyle Anderson, just, it opens up something different in this team that I think covers up some of their most uh, glaring weaknesses. Let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about Jaden specifically uh, in this game, as you alluded to at the beginning, or obviously for everyone who watched these two games, saw that Jaden played his worst game of the season on Sunday on Golden State and and knew it. Right, the the camera to him on the bench, the silly technical foul in the fourth quarter that could have been really costly. I mean, we we were kind of texting about it on Monday afternoon. I was like, you know, I I I think they can win this game, but you probably need to get like twenty five from Jaden, and and 
you know, and I think they're going to go to that. And it was really interesting to me, the very first possession of the game, they run a Conley McDaniels pick and roll, which, I mean, how many times has what? That, that happened? <laughs> I just looked it up on Synergy. I was like, how many times has Jaden McDaniels been used as a screener prior to this game? Nine. Like, it doesn't happen. So it's intention from Chris Finch to be like, immediately we're going to Jaden on, on the first possession of the game, involving him in the action. And then... Jaden kind of taking that on, knowing he needs to deliver after what happened on Sunday, and all at the same time exploding, exploiting the biggest weakness in in Sacramento's defense uh, in their starting lineup in Kevin Herter that they just went at over and over again. Jaden makes his first four shots in the first four minutes of the game, and Herter gets pulled from the game. You know, I mean, I think it's, I just think that small stuff like that is coaching and can really break something open. It broke Jaden open in that game. It forced the Kings to adjust their plan, just like it did with Atlanta a couple weeks ago when they tried to put high Trey Young on Jade McDaniels. I just, I just thought that was huge and set the tone for the game in a way that fit kind of the expected game script of how you were going to win this game, it was going to require Jaden. I think all I don't I don't think that was like some great call by me. But we were we were talking this afternoon. You just know that when Cat's going to be out of the game, TP's uh, sick and he's not going to play. Like you don't win that game without Jaden delivering in a major way on both sides of the floor, uh, and he did. That 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 you can rely on Jaden McDaniel's this much um, compared to you know previous seasons or even the beginning of the season. Like you can't. You can't undersell how how meaningful that is, too. Managing fouls. I'm pretty comfortable saying this, even though I'm obviously biased and I love that kid. Managing fouls is literally now the only thing that will prevent him from being a true star. Yep. Not a 3 and D guy. Not a tertiary piece. Just his ability to manage. Again, like last night he had five fouls again. But I think we almost like, that's fine. I don't know. Like He's your best perimeter defender. He's your second best rim protector. And on some nights now, when Ant doesn't have it, he might be he might be your best creator off the dribble to get his own bucket. You know what I mean? Yep. So he's just gonna I mean, he's he already has three fouls against Austin Reeves, and the Lakers game doesn't start till Friday. <laughs> like he just is always gonna get a bad whistle. He's in such a tough spot. But it was a it was purposeful last night, to your point about. I, I have to keep coming back to football, but like you have those scripted plays in football, those first 15 plays. Their first play last night was Finch knew it when he woke up yesterday morning was I'm getting Jaden a touch. Mm-hmm. I want to get him kind of in a rhythm. Um, and again, he had 20 points on eight of 15 shooting. Uh, but that dunk, man, that dunk shout out to Michael Grady, who had the best call in the moment. But that dunk was just I think he had the the interview with Katie Storm after the game. And he he's Jaden McDaniels is 22 years old. And he said, yeah, I just wanted to remind people that I'm still, I still have a little athleticism. It's like, but you're 22. <laughs> like no one's forgotten that, but that was a, that was a vibe changing dunk. Uh, it was on a possession too, where I think all five guys touched the ball. Like that was cool about that play as well. But yeah, to, to, to come off the stinker that he had against the Warriors, where they basically won without him. And then to have a performance like that. And I know we just touched, touched on Kyle Anderson a bit, but the, the one like, Hey, let's mix in a water moment is that. Kyle Anderson, I think, is averaging like 35 minutes a game over these last this four-game winning streak, right? But the Knicks, they don't have Ant or Carl. Uh, the Hawks game, 
Carl was on a very tight minutes restriction. The Warriors game, they didn't have Jaden. He played 10 minutes. And then last night, they don't have Carl. So it's like the one still kind of bugaboo is like, how do you, this team clearly has six guys, right? Hmm. Ant, Conley, Jaden, Kyle, Rudy, and, and Carl. And how are you getting, like moving forward? Like you still got to really balance that out because you can't have, if Jaden's not in foul trouble, he has to play as many minutes as possible. Right. But you also need to have Kyle out there. You need to have your two bigs. You need to have Mike Conley. You obviously need to have Ant. But yeah, Im- impressive performance from Jaden to rebound from what was probably his worst game of the year. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's played 10 minutes before unless he was a rookie. Uh, and then he was, you know, a leading scorer last night uh, and was just kind of dominant on both ends. Nas Reed called him the X Factor after the game when he was asked about the dunk and just what Jaden has, has brought lately. I think I like his. His is up too. It was filthy. Um, yeah, man. Jaden played at a high level like that. We're gonna be tough to beat. Like, I think you know he's our X factor. Um, I mean, he, he you know he had a tough game yesterday. He backed it up today in the back to back. I mean that's big time play. And um, like I said before, he continues to play like that. We should be the sky's the limit for us. It's interesting to me, Kyle, in, you know, just, again, middle of the game and, you know, you have these the fourth quarter, right? You, you start the fourth quarter and I think you got like Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel and Nas Reed on the floor with like two of the starters or quote unquote, you know, main guys. And all three of those players were the classic like little cute things that a fan base gets into when their team sucks, you know, um, like You're speaking three, to me right now. Yeah. Three, three, four years ago. I mean, like that, that's what it was. And that's like, you know, more often than not, we, we overblow guys like that. I mean, we're going to make a list of those, uh, from Timberwolves history, but, but this has been like the first time where the franchise has actually taken the time to kind of let second round picks, undrafted guys really come up together and become something collect individually and collectively that they can contribute to an actual winning team. And and I just think about the, you know, the the value that, you know, every game that Jane McDaniels has ever played in, like so is Nas Reed, or he's been on the team for that, or Jordan McLaughlin, or 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 Jalen Noel. And like those are the, I mean, you listed off the top six, those guys aren't in there. They might not even, you know, be in the top eight, right? Like, but it but it matters because, like we said, with with Noel too, you needed that burst from him in late third, early fourth. Like clearly, you know, without Cat, without Torian Prince's shooting, his team needed a little bit more offense last night to be able to, you know, stick with the Sacramento team. And and he delivered that. Nasreed, I mean, it's it's kind of becoming bankable. That that you're going to get that that offensive burst from him, you know what you're going to get from from Jordan McLaughlin, and to be able to put that out there, I think next to the other young players uh, is a really good sign of effective team building. Even though it came from kind of over three different GMs who ended up you know putting putting this roster together, I just think there's real value in that um and that it goes down to eight nine ten eleven twelve deep on this team and some of the deeper pieces have been the ones that have been here uh the longest so i don't know if that's a transition into talking about Nas, but it's uh it's meaningful for sure 
the Jaden thing is just so cool too because it's like there's so many times in your little investment portfolio where you try to get in low on a stock and it just doesn't work. Like, oh, this stock, I, I'm, I'm, it's going to go up 10x. It's like yeah, that, that happened to me with Marcus George's Hunt and Keelan Martin. Which, by the way, it's Marcus George's Hunt's birthday today. How do you know so, that? Good. I was looking up for Don't want to get me started. Anyway, um, Jade McDaniels just like completes my life and fills the void that Derek Williams left. Because like I remember when the Wolves drafted Derek Williams, like, oh, this is like a three and D stud. Who, I mean, I, I think I might have compared Derek Williams to LeBron James at some point. So that shows you how much hoops I know. But to your point about the other guys developing too, the second rounders, the undrafted guys, just the young guys, like for J- I don't know if this is actually going to work, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. But like, it's why I never loved all the Wiseman stuff with the Warriors, who I, I love to shit on. Um, the, wol- the Wolves aren't the Warriors, but like they'd always say, yeah, it's tough to put that guy in a system where like winning is ex- expected and like you can't just, it's not the Hornets, it's not the Rockets. Well, the, the Wolves aren't the Warriors, but like Jaden and Ant are growing up with expectations to win too. Like those guys have never come in. I mean, I guess, you know, that first year was kind of weird with when they went from Ryan Saunders to Finch, but like, these guys are also like learning on the fly and developing and having room to be themselves and say what they want to say and do what they want to do. But also with an expectation of like winning basketball games. This isn't just, I mean, what does Jaden McDaniel look like on the Hornets? If it was just like, Hey buddy, just go get 30. You know, he'd probably have like a bigger name. He'd probably have like a bigger brand, right? Because he would be getting 25 shots a night, but to do what he does. And then obviously like the trickle down effect, Jordan McLaughlin, Nikhil, and no one, for all the criticism we have of the Wolves and all the picks that didn't work, or the second round picks that didn't work, or the signings that didn't work, Nas Reed is the single greatest development story in 34 years for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm gonna, well, that's going to be a tease. We're going to hit another break. We'll talk about, we'll talk about Nas here uh, with Kyle in another minute. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I feel like I'm stressed every time I'm wanting to buy tickets to a Twins game or a concert in town, and I'm stressed because I don't know if I'm getting a good deal or not. And with the Game Time app, I feel confident, even if it's last minute, that I've purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. So if you're looking for tickets to one of these final Wolves home games, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're good. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails. So snag tickets without stress with the GameTime app. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code DANEMORE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DANEMORE, all one word, for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Kyle, uh, we're back for a final segment here. Um, somehow we've gone 40 minutes without talking about Nas Reed. Uh, really, Best who, for last. <laughs> yeah, who has just been I think it was second in scoring uh, last night. But now I think in the last five games, he's been the leading scorer three times and the second leading scorer twice. And it's not like, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns has played in some of those games. Anthony Edwards has played in some of those games. Mike Conley's played in all of them. Rudy Gobert's played in all of them. I mean, he is, we kind of laughed about this, I think it was a week ago, when we were talking about Nas Reed as like a Jamal Crawford-type sixth man. And and he is. Like, you, if you don't look at the, like, the body like it, it or the position that they're playing, Nas can just go and get you buckets. And you balance that against, much like you did with Jamal Crawford, against what that is giving up defensively on the other side of the floor. And coming into, you know, the the cat coming back sort of thing and knowing that Nas's minutes now are going to predominantly, if not exclusively, come at the four, the concerns go up with Nas. They would they did at that time where you go, okay, now he has a more difficult defensive assignment at the four. And now offensively, he's going to be going at fours who are quicker than he is. So his little wiggle and speed is not going to be like as valuable. That has proven to be wrong, even though I think that was logical assumptions because that's kind of what we've seen over 3.75 seasons of of Nas Reed's career. But with Nas, every kind of time we've hit a, I don't know, like a, a, a juncture in his career, like, wow, this is like a, like a cool development thing. Um, I wonder if he'll get better, but I probably can't expect that to happen because he's this undrafted guy. That's done that. And I was thinking last night again about how in just kind of over the past, like I think about like training camp the past couple seasons and Nas is like so, been so eager to like be there and even to like talk to the media about like, I am so excited to show what more I have to show. And, you know, having you know, covered the team or the league for a while, like, you know, a lot of guys say shit like that and it doesn't come to fruition. But with Nas at like, Every chapter of this, you've been like, wow, that ex- that was better than the last chapter. Is there something more here? Probably not. And there is something more here. And this is like, to me, the most meaningful one, because this is the first time that Nas Reed has really signaled that he can play the four in four seasons. This is the first time. And granted, it's only been a couple games, but it's been so believable over these three games that that he can do it in, in how effective it's been that. You just think there's another level to him and you think that there's another that he can be somebody worth retaining because he can play the four for you. Now, it, it really changes the the chessboard here of, of how I think you put this team together going forward 
And you have to believe in the long-term viability of Nas Reed significantly more today, even than you did a week, 10 days ago. And, and if not for anything else, like, yes, the offense, we know that Nas is chasing defensively as a four. He does have the body type of a four. He is thin. He can move. And you saw him chasing Kevin Herter last night. You saw him chasing Malik Monk at times, like which he's going to be asked to do at the four. He's just shown an ability to be able to do these things that, you know, I make you believe like this, this has to be someone who's a part of this core almost as much as even like a Jaden McDaniels. Like I I I mean. You don't think that because Nas was this undrafted player. I just think that framing of undrafted guy who didn't like kind of flamed out in college, whatever, like that he couldn't be more. He's just viewed as this undrafted guy. And if we just strip that away and you just watch that guy hoop, I don't, it doesn't matter when he was or wasn't drafted. He is good. He has, he has the things you're looking at when you're assessing like, a college basketball prospect or whatever that make you be like, wow, what more could this be uh, at the next level? And he's done more every step at the next level. I, I just, I don't, can't say enough good things about Nasri. Yeah, I, I don't fully understand why you keep saying he was undrafted in my personal record book. He was the sixth overall pick a couple of years ago <laughs> uh, and that Jared Culver was undrafted. But um, I think this idea- Jared Culver I is no longer in the NBA. Not even on a uh, two-way. But I'm going to bring him up in a second. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, we, again, the roller coaster of all this stuff, right? Go back and listen to a podcast in January and maybe we're like, ah, you know, flip, flip Nas for bones or something. Um, but this idea about him being like a core piece, like it's, it's positive vibes only in March right now, but he, in my opinion, is the number one bullet point on your off season discussion, because I think people might scoff at the idea that he is almost as valuable as Jaden, but I think that's kind of right. And I was thinking about this last night. I got to credit Mike O'Hagan at, at Canis Hoopus, who does really good stuff over there. But we were talking about comps because last week I, you and I were texting about like Hartenstein, not only yeah. from like just a general backup center, but like trying to figure out a future contract and Hartenstein has like two for 20. Um, but when you and I were also doing like, okay, they're doing this Rudy Gobert experiment with these two bigs. Like what are some comps for that? And we do it Al Horford and Rob Williams or something. But you were really smart about, uh, like, uh, Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Who's their third kind of component of that front line? Mm, Bobby Portis. Who's making four for 48, hmm. right? That, again, credit to Michael Hagan on that one. But that just, that seed has been planted in my head. And I'm like, Nas might also be like, remember when Jared Culver dunked on Robin Lopez? Yeah. And then Robin Lopez tried to fight him? Go back and watch the clip. The first person to get in there and mix it up was Nas Reed. Yeah. And he looks completely different. He looks I was going to say, 50, 50 pounds heavier, Nas Reed, if you go look at that clip. Yeah. But Nas is, and everyone swears by this for years, the most competitive person on this roster. The guy that would take those losing years the hardest. Um, I don't know if the Wolves have a crazy person, uh, RIP to James Johnson, but like Nas might be their craziest person or the guy that wouldn't be afraid to mix it up a little bit. But back to the Bobby Portis thing, it's like, you can have three highly paid big guys and just rotate them out if that third big guy bobby portis can like be a backup center right or start when brooke lopez sits or be the Giannis, you know play the four a little bit last night watching nas reed chase kevin herter around was incredible 
just because it's like, oh my God, he can kind of do this. Like he can literally, he's 6'9", 260. He can just chase around guards. And it made me think like, there's really no reason if you can, you know, figure out all the cap stuff. That's for you and other people to discuss. Like he has to be a guy that's part of the long-term future of this team. You cannot lose Nas Reed for nothing because we, they've proven now Carl's back. Rudy's playing the best basketball he's played in Minnesota. And it doesn't matter because you can still force feed minutes to Nas Reed. Like he, his scoring burst, his just general activity, his ability to stretch the floor. He's not going to get credited with any of these wins as like the, you know, the first place guy, but they don't win any of these last four games without Nas Reed contributing as much as he's contributed in various roles, starting off the bench, limited minutes, whatever, four or five, doesn't matter. His ability to just continue to get better and better is why he is the best developmental story in 34 years. I don't know if uh, you, you saw this quote come out of the locker room last night, but uh, Jaden McDaniels also had a, a comp for, for Nas Reed uh, after oh, the game. Good. Here it is. Were you trying to one-up Nas with your dunk? <laughs> nah, I wasn't. It was probably way better than mine. <laughs> what do you think about just him being able to step in? and uh, just, nah, just amazing. I mean, he come in, scores, rebounds, does everything we need. I mean, I've been calling him Marcus Cousins, but mm-hmm. Marcus Cousins, but yeah, that's what I see when I see when I was playing. So that was obviously a little loud in the locker room, but that's a DeMarcus Cousins comp uh, from Jade McDaniels on, on Nas Reed, which Obviously, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, all, all NBA center. Uh, yeah, he, Jaden said old DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, so he's, you know, referring to that. But in ways stylistically, Nas offensively is doing things that DeMarcus Cousins did back then, but faster um, in terms of, you know, kind of having more of a first step burst than, than Cousins did. You know, and, and again, in many ways, Cousins was significantly more dominant on the block, better shooter, I, I think, uh, a handful of those different things. I think that's an interesting comp, too, in one sense that Chris Finch coached DeMarcus Cousins in, yep. in, in one all. of the first true double center looks that the league had seen in the in this past decade after everything went small. And like the first rebound back to kind of big ball was that Pelicans team where Finch was running the offense under Alvin Gentry, I believe. And they decided to lean into playing DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis and doing so while playing fast. A team led the league uh, in pace. And I just remember having gone back and, you know, done some research on that team after the Wolves, actually like this summer, um, because knowing the Wolves were going to have the double big thing. I'm like, oh, Finch was in New Orleans. I mean, that if, if you look back on that Pelicans team, too, I mean, they were really peaking. Or like ascending, I guess. Maybe not peaking is just putting a cap on it. But if, if you look at what they were doing right before DeMarcus Cousins got hurt on that team, if that doesn't happen, I, I think that the whole shift towards having multiple centers, you know, might have happened quicker or more frequently. I, obviously, like you said, with with Milwaukee and Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis in the mix there too. Like we we've seen some some teams doing it, but that but Finch was doing that in New Orleans, I think, as as early as anyone in the modern uh, NBA was. And DeMarcus Cousins' ability to be a true big while also being able to impact the game kind of at all three levels and self-create offensively changed things. And that, to that end, that's what Nas Reed has done for this team over over the past, you know, 
five games or so since he's come back and and broadly th- this season overall it's if there was a team and a coach to do the Giannis Brook Lopez and Bobby Portis thing with it would probably be you know Chris Finch and Cat is different than Giannis as Brook Lopez is different than Rudy Gobert but you know I mean Milwaukee does play all three of those guys together sometimes too and, and I'm like we're like I don't know the 15th swing through of this team with the flu of the season away from I think Finch going to that at, at, at some point because Nas again is showcasing ability to be able to run around and and chase defensively while not being held back offensively uh, because he's being guarded by a, a smaller player made me think of that like Vince McMahon meme where it's like these extra layers and the final one is like if if Finch starts or plays for yeah. two minutes Kyle Anderson, Jaden McDaniels, Nas Reed, Conte Towns, and Regal Bear, you're just going to be like lean back in your chair. Um, <laughs> I will, yes. No, I, I, and, it, and it goes back to, I don't even, I really don't. Like Larry Kuhn and you can discuss salary cap stuff all the time. I just refer to you, but there isn't a number now. I mean, unless you get to like 480 or something, but you just have to sign him <laughs> at whatever it is. And I think you talked about this with Britt maybe last week and then figure it out later. <laughs> But this has gone from like a cool story to like, maybe we can keep him around. Like he is an integral part of what you're trying to do and brings a level of toughness, a level of flexibility, a level of being durability. No one falls more than him and just gets back up. Uh, And he's just a perfect blend of everything you would want in a backup big, a la Bobby Portis, who is, you know, a little older than Nas, but just a fantastic story uh, and a fantastic stretch of games for him. Doing it, you know, contract year stuff, whether it be D'Lo or Jalen or like he's doing it when it matters the most. He's yeah. having big games on big, you know, on big platforms on national TV. So incredible, incredible stuff. Um, let me do the really let me do the the briefly salary cap thing on him, which I think is important to contextualize. And it is this summer that you would be giving him a new contract. Right. And this summer, the Wolves or for next season, are not entering like salary cap hell yet. That is coming in two seasons. Anthony Edwards is going to get about a $20, $25 million raise. Carl Anthony Towns is going to get a $20 million raise. He's already he's already signed that. We know Ant is going to get, and then we know Ant is going to sign for the max. So those raises are coming there. We estimate Jaden is probably going to get a, also a $20 million raise as well. But that, again, is coming in two years. So you do still have a window, not in terms of cap space, the trading D'Lo for Conley cannibalized your cap space, but you don't need cap space to retain your own player. You can bring Nas back for 10, or even if you want to say over $10 million for next season, and it not even put you into the luxury tax. There are ways to do that. Now, if you have them on the books, and if it is a four-year type of deal, that will very much escalate where they are in terms of the tax two years from now. And you will probably need to make accommodations for that in that the tax bill will be so high that you will need to get rid of someone. So the question with Nas is, do you get out ahead of that and not give him the contract this summer so as to avoid the tax burden it will have if it's a long-term deal? Or you can re-sign Nas, say, again, let's just do 440 out there. Some people are saying, oh, that's crazy low. Like, whatever. Whatever the number is, you can give Nas a multi-year contract 
for eight figures and then maybe move him in another year. I just don't like the idea of taking away a piece from this thing for next season when the financial restrictions are not yet there. I think you incur whatever risk it is of signing him and, you know, maybe, oh, oh actually, he's not a $10 million player. Okay. I, I'm taking on the risk of that so as to have him on the team next year. And then maybe you do need to trade him two years from now before the luxury tax kicks in. Or, and I don't know if this is crazy, what if you just give him a one-year balloon deal? Like, what if it was just like a one-year, 16 $17 million deal? And then you avoid any of the long-term tax implications. Now, I don't know if he would take it. He probably wants to lock up long-term money, but I hadn't really thought about that as an idea or, or possibility with this sort of team. Point being, there are ways to bring back Nas Reed from a salary cap standpoint without putting your team in the luxury tax next season. And if that's true, then why the hell move on from it? You know, I, I just, I, I, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I hear and know that there's some risk and some financial burden, but it's not immediate. And like, we've been kicking our problems down the road with the Timberwolves for 12 months now, like throw another one in there. I, I, I just, I, the, the risk doesn't outweigh the reward to me at all. And listen, all jokes aside to be as blunt as we can. Because it's ironic that we're having this talk. I mean, I just want to watch the Jaden Dunk on replay all day. I don't really want to think about the future. But it's important to talk about. And on March 28th, today is like the next deadline for the next ownership payment mm -hmm. by Mark Lohr and Alex Rodriguez. And whatever. Again, as blunt as I can be, they got this team for a discount. This team's value has already shot up. We saw what the Suns went for. Um, this fan base, the people that still stick around, deserve you to not be cheap. And they've showed already, you know, whether it be painting the walls or going big game hunting for Tim Conley, like they've showed, I have no reason to believe that they would be cheap. But if you're simply worried about financials when it comes to Nas Reed, then you're, that's a mistake that you should not be worried about that. Dane just painted it as clear as you can, that you can all make this work and then figure it out later. But this team should be all about retaining as much of their talent as possible. And then, like you said, figuring it out kind of at the end can we can we riff quick i know you want to yeah. wrap this up but can we talk about rudy quick sure. just like i don't know just Definitely. spitball about rudy uh because i had a note it's wine induced but i think rudy is rudy signed here for three more years right uh yeah the third year is a player option um yeah right yeah yeah do, do, do you think in the next three and a half years we'll see someone stab rudy gobert and get away and rudy will get called to the offensive foul because no one Rudy Gobert is officially like one of us now. Like we're all on like we defend Rudy. I, man, like I don't want to say the O word because I know it triggers people. But like the the officiating on Rudy Gobert is so bad. And he like there are so many times where it seems like people are taking like pot shots to him. I wish I would have been on after the, the, the Golden State game. But like this, the stuff that he gets reviewed for flagrant. So I think he's literally maxed out on flagrant fouls. Yeah. He where if he gets another one, he's suspended. Yeah. Um, it's just incredible. And again, I think it's real loser mentality. If you try to tell me that the officiating balances itself out, like I'm, I don't care about from a Wolves perspective, I'm caring about, this is the most engaged I've been in an NBA season. And we're going to get towards the playoffs. And the officiating has never been worse. Even if it's balancing out, 
hey, big, if you and I were on, if everyone's on a cruise and I was like, God, the food sucks. And you're like, yeah, the food sucked for me, balances out everyone's food sucks. Like it shouldn't suck. <laughs> we paid for a fucking cruise. Like the food should be good. The officiating should be good. And yes, the Wolves won again last night. Yes, they had some calls go their way in the Golden State game, even though the last two minute report missed two Golden State calls. But just in general, man, the officiating needs to be better for the playoffs and the officiating towards Rudy. Every time Draymond Green got hit anywhere above his nipples, they reviewed it in Golden State. But Rudy Gobert, I mean, the Finch is on the court begging you to review how many times that man gets hit in the head. I think they even said on the call that like they're sending clips into the league to be like, can you look at this? It's just wild, man. And he was so good again last night. But that dude, I don't know if it's just because I watch it more. I don't know if it happened in Utah too. He just gets these weird elbow, like the the Sabonis elbow. That was a foul, but like he got elbowed in the rib. It's just, it's a weird way that he gets officiated compared to, I think, like other bigs in the league. Yeah, I, I remember in the locker room after the Boston game, right? And he got the, he gets the taunting call. And then subsequently, the next possession down on defense uh, gets called for the flagrant foul on Jason Tatum for, for hitting him in the face. And I remember, you know, talking to him at, at that time and 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 him just being like, this is crazy. He's like, you know, just <laughs> I get hit in the face every game and I don't think they've been they've called a, a, a single flagrant on it. And he's like, I don't like don't need it to be a flagrant. I just it's not the same, you know, and I. I haven't asked him this because I always like, you know, like I, I actually just don't like talking about the refs. Same, um, same. And, and, but I'm not, it is a relevant topic and I like talking about relevant topics, but what, what I want to ask Rudy, and maybe I just do this privately with not the like microphones on. Cause I don't want, I don't like specifically don't like asking players about it because I don't want it at all be a reason that they end up getting fined if they roll with that. Right. But, I am curious if Rudy Gobert feels that he gets a different whistle in Minnesota than he did when he was in Utah. And, you know, and I obviously I'm watching every one of these games like I'm watching every one of these games. I certainly wasn't watching every single one of uh, the Utah games. I just my gut tells me he is being officiated differently than he was in Utah. And. My curiosity wants to know the why behind that, right? Like, is this, uh, you know, the Timberwolves always get screwed sort of thing or what? I mean, what could it be? What could it be if he is getting officiated differently than before? Like, I, I get I get the fact, and this is a basketball thing across the board. It's a thing with Jade McDaniels. Bigger people get, when bigger people are guarding smaller people, they get called for fouls more frequently. That is just a a truth of basketball. I don't know if it's a leverage sort of thing or whatever. Um, that happens. And and that's fine. That like, okay, so, you know, so be it. I think Jane's gonna have to deal with that his whole career if he continues guarding six two guys. Yeah. But is it different? Is it different than the nine years Rudy Gobert was was in Utah? Because certainly for this season, uh it 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 feels like it is and and I don't know I don't know if it's just like subconscious stuff about you know how like Rudy doesn't get a lot of respect from the media from players around the league I mean that's just like a truth and I wonder if that like subconsciously is in like the officials minds because it's in everybody's minds who watches the NBA I mean most people like 
think Rudy stinks. They just do. I mean, yeah. I, I, no, I, I, do. I don't. They, they just do. So if that is in your mind as an official, as a truth, or as a well-respected take, then I think even subconsciously that like just leads you to not officiate with with as as much respect. Like I honestly, everyone complains about the Jaden McDaniel stuff every single game, and like I I I see it. Um, I don't think I'm not saying Jaden gets a good whistle, but I think Jaden also fouls a lot. Like on that when he yes. got his fifth yes. foul, like on that possession when he got his fifth foul, and then he spiked the ball and got the technical, like. Go back and watch that possession. Like, I don't remember who it was he was going. Maybe it's Poole or something. He does foul Jordan Poole twice out on the perimeter before the don't get called. And then he goes to the basket and then, like, kind of gets a phantom call on it. And I'm like, okay, wrong call. But, like, also definitely got Jaden definitely fouled him, like, not, like a half a second before, you know? So I my, my point when I'm being long-winded here is, I actually think Rudy gets the worst whistle on the team. I think I, I to me, it feels worse than than Jaden's does because I think Jaden actually has as great as Jaden is, and and as important of a defensive piece as this is. I think Jaden fouls too much. I think he has a fouling problem and understanding what it is he can and cannot get away with. I think Rudy understands that stuff. It's just he doesn't get. He doesn't get the respect, certainly doesn't get the respect that other players making $30, $40 million um, in the league do. I don't know if that's because it's defense versus offense or whatever, but to me, I think he gets a different whistle uh, than, than he did previously. And again, I said this before, like my dad taught me two things. He's like, you never leave a game early and you never complain about officials. And I'm going to talking about officials in the sense that I just think it's bad across the entire league. I don't actually think there's some weird tinfoil hat vendetta against the Timberwolves, even though I do think Rudy gets a bad whistle. I think other guys on other teams get bad whistles, but it just, it, it, we shouldn't be talking about it. And it's bad. It's bad in any game I watch It's bad in the Mavs Pacers game that I was checking out. Like, but the Rudy stuff is just really stands out because to your point, yeah. And to Jaden falling a lot, the best defenders usually do. Yeah. I don't know. Marcus smarts always in your face. He just, he knows how to, Use the politics a little bit. Talk to refs on the side. I don't know if Jaden doesn't talk, so he's not really doing that. But some of the Rudy stuff, man, it's like, it, it's weird that it goes over the line of like cheap shots almost, or just he just he takes elbows too, and they never call it. And it again, I know I joke about Draymond, but it does seem like if you have a hand touch your face, we are now reviewing it, unless it's Rudy Gobert. Um, but I will just my last Rudy thing, and then I'll let you close whatever you want. Everyone thinks last night's highlight of the whole night was Jaden's dunk. The highlight of the night, Rudy Gobert hit like this turnaround fadeaway jumper in the third corner. <laughs> and there was a Kings player that was yeah. so disgusted that he got up, walked off the bench and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> like, the whole Kings bench reaction to Rudy yeah. kind of turning and throwing it up. and like hit the rim once and bounced in was the funniest thing I've seen. Because again, we're done here, but like, they have found these intricate little ways. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Rudy Gobert ever took a jump shot like that in Utah in like eight years. They for, found for the record, little... I'd also be cool if he never took that jump shot again. Nope, totally cool <laughs> with that as well. Um, but it's just like he does seem recently in this four-game winning streak to have just a little more touch. I mean, there's also a play too. You tweeted out where Ants at the top rifles a 100-mile-an-hour fastball to Rudy at the rim. And Rudy just kind of jumps up Odell Beckham style. 
and tips it to the corner. I think for he, like caught for and threw it. He like caught yeah. it with one hand and like he actually like redirected it to Jaden in the corner. Like the perfect that 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 clip. I was I I clipped it out and, and and tweeted. I was like I wrote it down in my notes. I'm like I'm putting this out there because I know this is one of those that like it went kicked it to Jaden. Jaden kicked it to Conley. Conley kicked it to Nas, and Nas missed the three. And I'm like if that goes in. You know, that has 3.7 million views on Bleacher Report's Instagram. Like the, you know, the the next time, which is like one of my biggest pet peeves with highlights. It's like, oh, the guy made a perfect pass and the other guy missed a wide open shot. So it's not cool anymore. Uh, but he, he also had that, he also had that rebound. I think it was in the first half. I, this is really specific, but he like had a rebound and he was trying to get it to Ant. He kind of bounced it behind his back and it was a turnover. Yeah. But that man... Going back to this French or this roster being four years older in a three month time span, he just looks. And I, I always think about I say this all the time, like when we were in Vegas and he had those knee braces on, and he just didn't look as active and as you know in the Euro basketball and all that stuff. He just looks like the best version of himself. Yeah. And I think not only is he, you know, yes, he doesn't have the blocks that Walker Kessler does, but watch that Warriors game, man. They got in the paint and they didn't even bleep and think about it. Right. They just kicked it back out. Um. He's playing at a high level, but I also think he finally feels like for a guy that has no respect and everything you said is true, like one of us, like he feels like he's a member of this team. And I think it's showing in some of these flashy, you know, he's hitting Dirk shots and he's making one hand Rubio passes, which is like, again, please stop doing all of that. But he looks to have some confidence and some swag. And that's big because that's, you know, you got to have some swag when you're kind of on an island sometimes protecting the rim, doing all that dirty stuff. Uh, he was in a battle last night against Sabonis and Sabonis got him a couple times but uh just he is playing his best basketball when the team needs it the most six for eight from the free throw line was clutch uh team high plus nine so yeah I just wanted to bring that up because I hate talking about officials but it's just every game I watch it's so bad and it's just like what are what are we doing it it is it is problematic um it it is around the league I, I yeah I, I I don't know I don't know what to do with it I I really hope it's uh something whether it's in the wolves or just with the wolves or with the playoffs in general that it doesn't come to define it it feels like the narrative is is so strong around it too that we're really almost looking for the official stuff too i just want to have a fun playoffs uh <laughs> i want the wolves uh to be in i want them to skip the you know skip the play in all together get the six seed i mean it's five is looking possible four is looking i mean you beat phoenix you're a half game behind phoenix then for the for the four seed, like um, I I don't know I I'm just in, encouraged or I don't know, maybe like woke back up a little bit that uh, th this is this is going to be a, a fun end push of the season and just being as last night's game was against the Sacramento Kings they could be dumb if we didn't say that would be a hell of a playoff series um, if if those two teams can can meet in the three six that was a extremely uh, enticing basketball game that, like you said, what, like nobody ever got up by more than three or five points or whatever. Um, that type of back and forth battle with two teams that have stunk for the better part of our lifetimes, uh, you know, to, to go at it, to have the chance to not just even be in the playoffs, but to, you know, potentially go on to the second round and beyond that in a, in a weird uh, Western conference, I think that would be uh, just a just an awesome playoff series. It's uh, I don't. I mean, it's always kind of what I've been hoping for. From I think it gives the Wolves a a good standpoint. Selfishly, I'd like to go to California uh, for the playoffs. But now I'm like, I don't even know if that's the best case scenario because I think the four seed is the best case scenario because 
that seems to, you know, at least potentially be in the cards. We'll know a lot more about the possibility of that um, after Wednesday's game against Durant and 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 the Suns. But uh, it's looking like the Wolves. I mean, the Wolves do control their own destiny, right? To avoiding the play-in, and there's a lot of games. There's six more games. I don't think you expect them to win all of them, but they uh, they're very much in the mix. And and by in the mix, we're not talking the play-in mix. They're in the mix to be in the playoffs and they have a chip in a chair chance to, uh, you know, to be the four seed and host a playoff series. My, my vibe meter, my official vibe meter for the last couple of weeks has just been like, please just make like the top 10, like, please just make the plan. Like that was a memorable moment in my life watching them beat the Clippers, like just get in. So it's not a joke. Like that you finished 11th, you went all in on this Rudy Gobert trade. I have now transitioned to God damn it. Please don't blow a first round series. Like that's how I've now gone to this team is going to be. And we Phil Phil Mackey and I talk about this all the time. This, this could still fall out. They still have what? Seven games left. If you Six just seven. don't bring that same exact adult energy that we just went an hour and a half on a lot of this is going to look so stupid, yeah. but you, the chip in the chair thing, like you now do control. I mean, I think tonight technically because golden state and the Pelicans play each other, that the wolves might fall out of the six seed for a night. But you can, if you just continue to win these games and you have some really easy ones coming up against the Spurs and the Blazers, and you do get to play the Pelicans at home, like you do control your own destiny and getting out of that seven through 10 range or just guaranteeing yourself two additional home games or four playoff games uh, is, is, is massive. And it's a testament to to these players and kind of the heart they've shown throughout, you know, again, the Ides of March, like it's a really grind to get to the finish line and then it's Finch as well. So uh yeah that that Suns game I mean it, again house money but that Suns game is something yeah. real important and then regardless of what happens I was always saying go one and two on this west coast road trip uh man I can't imagine what target center is gonna be like on Friday against the Lakers that's Lakers. gonna be uh yeah. that's gonna be about as close to the Grizzlies energy from last April as as you can get well Kyle no no beam on uh on Monday night as Jade McDaniel said Nah, I just ain't want them to light the beam for real. That's all. I don't want to see that beam around here. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, I want that playoff series. Don't want to see that beam. Uh, Kyle, I appreciate you doing it. Um, you guys can uh, listen to Kyle and Phil Mackey. I think they recorded um, on, on Monday. If you want uh, more Kyle uh, in your life there, you can follow him on Twitter, at Kyle Tige. Um, I will be back on Wednesday morning uh, with Chase Frederick. We'll we'll be recording that but before the Phoenix game on, on Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening. So uh, more pods. We're going to keep uh, keep ripping through these. Uh, appreciate you all listening. Kyle, appreciate you coming on. Uh, until then, he's Kyle. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.